Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. You can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, my previous self, promised to do an episode on Parfit if we did a deep dive on Stalker, which we just did. But, you know, it was my previous self that made that commitment. Does my current self have to honor that commitment? <laughs> uh, my previous self insisted on Parfit, and I'm wondering the same thing now. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it just depends on the overlap. Let me draw you a diagram. In this diagram, I will represent you with 18 squiggly lines, and uh, you will see that there is an overlap between time one Tamler and time two Tamler. Multiple <laughs> fission. Yeah. Branching fission. <laughs> this indicates that as a matter of degree, you are more responsible than not uh, for ma- keeping your promise. I think uh, we're probably going to have different reactions to that paper just because our expectations uh, for it were so wildly different. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we'll meet in the middle. <laughs> Maybe we will. Oh, yeah. There's that example where the branches start the out spring. branching and then they kind of fuse back together. In, this, in the spring. I wonder if our... In the uh, spring. Our, <laughs> our, <laughs> <laughs> our our preferences as as very bad wizards podcasters over time have like merged and and uh, then separated and then merged. If yeah. you could track this, yeah, you know. exactly. Like we merged on Stalker, <laughs> we uh, merged on Borges early on. Yeah, we were initially on the same page with experimental philosophy, and then and then you <laughs> took a sharp turn. I kind of followed. You and were then kind I, then of I there. pushed away. <laughs> <laughs> we branched on straw dogs, but we will merge on that one day. Yeah. Um, um, we we merged hard on uh, Lila from Deadwood. <laughs> we merged, <laughs> yeah. Tamler, we're talking about Parfit in the second segment, but the, the Lila question made me want to just jump into this. If you close your eyes, yeah, it, how vividly can you imagine <laughs> Lila from Deadwood? <laughs> Pretty vividly, which is one of the good things about having a mind's eye. We're referencing this phenomenon known as aphantasia. That like a while ago, I. The the internet kind of exploded with a discussion of this, and I honestly didn't know about this phenomenon until I saw somebody posting about it, probably on Reddit, which is just the phenomenon that uh, you have the inability to create mental imagery. So I think originally what I saw was somebody saying, it was like a tweet that said, you know, when people say that they can picture something in their mind, 
I only today learned that they actually mean that. Like that they had no idea that like when you're trying to conjure an image of an apple, that you're not just being metaphorical by saying like, I see an apple in my mind. And so their mind was blown. (laughs) T-I-L. That people actually <laughs> That's right. kind of, uh, vision, envision things. Yeah, no, imagine that. Like you yeah. always thought this was kind of metaphorical and then you just realized, oh, wow, I have this, not a disorder, Dr. Zeman from the <laughs> right. uh, University of <laughs> He's Exeter. He's the person who coined it, said, right? Yeah, it's just an intriguing variation in in human experience, which I, I mean, I don't know how, like, I don't even totally get the question of whether it's a disorder or not, but it does seem like a variation. Like, I even feel like, I feel like I'm in the norm. I I took the quiz that you sent over Slack. You can take a quiz and I just got Fantasia, not uh, hyper Fantasia, but also not a Fantasia. But like, I feel like even for me, it varies. You know, like sometimes it can be very vivid. Sometimes it's not. So in that quiz, one, like it asks you to try to imagine a variety of different kinds of scenes. Mm -hmm. And I found the same thing was happening to me in that quiz to the disorder question. I mean, who knows what people mean by disorder? Like, but, but one way of thinking of it is, does it intrude on your normal functioning in everyday life? And, and that's one of the things that seems to be like a clear no. In this, like, and Except. I think that that must be <laughs> that must be why people don't know that they don't have it, right? Um, yes, I mean that uh, they have it. Yes, <clears throat> uh, both of our first reactions to this, maybe unsurprisingly, was like, "How do you jerk off without porn?" Which, having done a Google search of this, like, is a lot of people's first question. Yeah, totally. Did you see the Reddit post? The I Reddit. Saw, there yeah. was a Reddit. <laughs> in the r slash uh yeah yeah the uh, answer clearly was like we don't like they yeah. were just like i i guess when i was younger i tried to masturbate without porn but like i gave that up a long time ago yeah um, there was yeah. one person who said like they could read erotic fiction and yeah. it was okay which is interesting because but like Please. i feel like i i visualize if I'm, yeah totally yes it seems like just a way of getting the mental imagery to me is like to read about it But I mean, these are people who have like spent their lives with an imagination that just doesn't contain visual imagery. So I guess it's not a big deal uh, to them. I I guess estimates are around, uh, you know, 2% of the population reports some, Mm. to some degree that they have aphantasia. Apparently the people who have this do seem to have much less strong autobiographical memory, which leads me to, um, one of the things that that got me to remember this discussion at all was that I was reading a, um, did you see that Larissa McFarquhar New Yorker profile of Derek Parfit? I don't know if, mm-hmm. you've, if you've seen it. Yeah. In, uh. in that, she says that <clears throat> Parfit reports having no mental imagery and autobiographical details are sparse for him. Which And that I was like, tracks. oh! That- <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm sure these are the kinds of things that matter in terms of your um, intuitions, perspectives. Like, you know, I guess you're right that it doesn't impede anybody, but you would think that it would make a like a big difference. Just like, you know, I can call to mind the image of my daughter, you know, I can and her smile and I can 
my favorite actors, my favorite performances. Yeah, um, I mean, just imagine like whatever basketball shot to win a game that you really cared about. Like yeah. I can picture whatever, you know, Kobe Bryant doing a turnaround jump shot or something. Like it just, it, as if I'm watching a replay. Like, you know. Yeah, you know, to not have that, uh, in one in in one way, it's like okay, you're probably remembering how people sound or how people, you know, like so. If you're not picturing your daughter's smile, you're thinking of like how she can tell a story or something like that, or yeah. her laugh and stuff like that. But you would think it would just affect how you conceptualize things, how you talk about things in a way that I guess it doesn't seem to, because we have other ways of adapting. Yeah, I think that the question, because most of these people seem to be, yeah. most of these people are lifelong this way, so they don't know any different. And so I, I imagine that it's like people with synesthesia who can, for instance, see sounds, Yeah, um, they might wonder what it's like to be us and be like, well, how, how do you remember uh, numbers right. or whatever if you can't visualize them uh, or sounds if you can't see a color when you hear them? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, uh, Nabokov was that. Oh, really? Yeah. And so he would see letters as different colors and yeah. words as different colors. Like, yeah, he didn't understand what it would mean to not have that. Yeah, I had um, in college a blind friend. He wasn't born blind. He, he became blind when he was 12 through some degenerative uh, disease. And he had synesthesia. And then I remember asking him, so when you hear my voice, like you see a color, he's like, yeah. I was like, what color is my voice? <laughs> he's like, it's like a, a grayish blue. <laughs> I, take I was like, that. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. That's so good. If there are any synesthetes uh, listening to us, let us know what color our voices are. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about what color my, my voice would be. Mustard yellow. <laughs> um, <laughs> because of like mustard gas? I have no idea why I said that. I have no idea. <laughs> it just seemed like an unflattering color to me. <laughs> I would, I would probably take that right now. <laughs> you, like, what you would know, be I'm a more bad worried about bad. like hot pink or uh, I don't know, some like emo pink. black or something it's like that. Diarrhea you know? brown, brown, yeah, di diarrhea brown. <laughs> it also was apparently related to uh, there was like appears to be compensation or at least abilities that, that, that seem compensatory, that people uh, with aphantasia are more likely to be, say, better analytically. I, I think there's a hint that people with aphantasia might also be on the autism spectrum, and so it wouldn't surprise Is me. Is that, that right? I couldn't, I, I didn't I, see that. I'm not sure. I could double check the Wikipedia. Certainly with Parfit, <laughs> that's the case. But yeah. uh, this is why another reason why you wonder how this doesn't impede them more. And, and maybe this is a bullshit experiment, but in the article you sent, m most people, you know, when you see something scary or when you read something scary, your skin conductance will be in a, a certain way, like a spike yeah. in your skin, skin conductance. But people with aphantasia didn't. Yeah. Interesting. But I guess um, it's like you don't need to have it when it's not right in front of you. That's when you right. really need to have it. So probably right. it just means you can read Stephen King novels without getting without, scared of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right.
I did find it. Uh, this is from the Wikipedia. In 2021, a study relating aphantasia, synesthesia, and autism was published, pinpointing that aphantasics reported more autistic traits than controls. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, do you have, by the way, anything that makes you different? Like, I don't know how to ask the question, but that experience of realizing that other people weren't like you in some deep way, do you have anything like that? Yeah, like, apparently other people have, like... 10-inch penises or less. (laughs) I knew knew you were going to the danger. No. uh, I don't think so. I kind of feel like I'm very vanilla average in a lot of these things. You know, I I think there's someone, some things I know, I'm probably on the disordered end of it, like smell or, um, but but I can still smell things. And um, I just don't think I get the same qualia that other right. people get from smell. That's interesting. And, and then other things probably that I feel like I'm a little higher on. I don't have anything that interesting, but I am uh, photosensitive in the sense that I, when I look at the light, I sneeze. Mm-hmm. Not always, but if I need to sneeze and a sneeze is coming and I'm having trouble getting it out, I can just stare into a bright light. <laughs> and one time I was doing this and whoever I was dating uh, said, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, I'm just trying to sneeze. And they're like, what, what do you mean? I was like, you know, how light helps you sneeze. And they're like, what? Yeah, right. And it turns out that it's only like half, for only half, pe- half the people. Like, does that actually uh, even that work? Actually true? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. It's just like your phenomenological world. Like there just is no way to know. It's like the inverted spectrum problem. There's just no good way to know um, whether right. or not you share the same kinds of experiences. For all I know, I'm just completely weird in a way that like is. Yeah. Just the way we experience thoughts. Yeah. I sometimes wonder those kinds of things, like um, how I will just get thoughts. And especially if you're like, if I'm meditating, but also if I'm like on the border of sleep and awake, and then all of a sudden I get these thoughts that just don't seem like they're me, you know, (laughs) they're just these kind of random voices in my head. And it's like, wait, what's that? Like, and then I, and I remember thinking, that recently is this something everybody has when they go to sleep um right you know like all of a sudden like an invasion of weird uh voices and thoughts and stuff like that and it's not like they're violent or like sexual or any like they're 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 just weird and and not like mine be honest is it your dog telling you to kill people it's weird (laughs) and but i've only listened to charlie three times (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that I get that. I mean, maybe when I'm falling asleep, like the the hypnagog- hypnagogic sort of hallucinations that you get, like right when you're falling asleep, like when you're about to fall. Yeah. Um, see, so should. I might like this might yeah. I might be like a like schizophrenic or you know I like a serial so. killer. I think so. <laughs> if only you listen to me as much as you listen to the voices in your head. Um, well, I don't really listen to them. I like it, it's always like honestly, like this is one of these weird things that that like I thought was normal, but it lets me know that I'm about to fall asleep. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, because I always I have a bit of insomnia and I worry about that. And then when that starts happening, I'm like, okay, good. And it relaxes me. It's like I'm about to go to sleep. The yeah. big plot twist is that uh, you've been doing a podcast by yourself for the last ten years. <laughs> You're just always very tired right, when you exactly. do that. <laughs> Quick montage of like me calling like a blank sc- screen or a uh, Kantian. And, and <laughs> well, you know, the Josh Hollies of the world that want to uh, eliminate porn, like <laughs> need to check their ableism, I think. 
It's true. No, no aphantasic in the right mind would ever, would ever wish for that. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back to talk about Barfit. This episode is brought to you by longtime sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, how we feel can shape so much about how we view the world. When you're at your best, it seems like you can accomplish anything, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you start to get overwhelmed, you feel that heaviness, and even the simplest tasks can feel like an impossible burden. Well, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel confident, when you feel empowered, you're way more prepared to take on everything life throws at you, good, bad, tedious, and wonderful. Whether you're dealing with trauma, troubled relationships, professional problems, or just the alienating and isolating aspects of modern life, therapy can have so many benefits. You can learn positive coping skills. You can learn how to set boundaries, how to set goals for yourself, and how to recognize the patterns and habits that may get you into one of those ruts that it's hard to get out of. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. If for whatever reason that therapist isn't the best fit for you, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com VBW to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot VBW. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the show where we like to thank everybody uh, for all of their support um, and for reaching out to us, for communicating with us, for keeping our morale uh, up. As it's hovering at da- <laughs> like danger levels. Dangerously right low level. Um, if you uh, do want to contact us, uh, please do. At You can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at Tamler at Peas. But to be honest, I haven't been on Twitter too much lately, so <clears throat> just as a, as a warning. Oh my I, God! You're so sanctimonious and like virtue it's like, signaling. It's like the people who say, "I don't, I don't watch TV." <laughs> for my I'm actually men- not on Twitter that much, but you know, <laughs> go for, for it, go crazy. It's for my mental you. health, it's for my mental health. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, self care. I still check it. I'm, who am I fooling? I still uh, check it. I don't out. know that you've liked the Deadwood. Uh, you didn't tweet it, did you? Tw- I, I did I checked tweet for it. it. I, I just, I just when? did it. 
like today. Oh, well, yeah, today. Like I checked for it all day the day that I posted the episode. And I was like, well, well Tamler, I know Tamler's busy. Sorry, I'm not like <laughs> tweeting on your schedule. <laughs> I almost texted you. Did you forget to tweet? Anyway, and then, tweet. You don't, and then that, that's the nerve of you because I did it at like 10 this morning and you don't even like like it or listen, retweet it. It's listen, dying have, out there. It is dying out there right now, that tweet. I have not checked Twitter. It's like a stand up comedian that's just gone cold. <laughs> it's entertaining sometimes to see them fail. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, tweet to us at Very Bad Wizards. Uh, Tamler will definitely check. Uh, you can also join our wonderful subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Very Bad Wizards and get into some arguments there. <laughs> I've been going on there just randomly posting stuff or like commenting, I mean. Oh, really? Yes. Like there's no rhyme or reason to what I decide. <laughs> yeah, somebody was like kids movies. And I was like, oh, yeah, kids movies. Like what's a good movie to watch with your kids? And then I just gave just like a bunch of them, but like they weren't thought out or anything like that. <laughs> and then somebody like annoyed me about ghosts Did you so they, I, I responded oh, you, to that i even i feel bad for you about all the shit you get for ghosts sometimes i'm like well he deserves it because he was playing it up but then but like most of the time i just feel bad. i believe everything that i <laughs> have said about ghosts <laughs> See, I think some people don't just understand. Asking. Some people just don't understand what I've said. Maybe you didn't make fine. it clear. Like it's not. <laughs> but you hearing voices all of a sudden explains things. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, check us out on Instagram at Very Bad Wizards. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I'm unlike Tamla. I don't ask for five star ratings, but if I don't, he will as soon as he gets the microphone. So give us a five-star rating. Uh, listen to us on Spotify. Subscribe, rate us there. Uh, anything. Tell a friend. Uh, but we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. I've finally got my hands on a microphone. So <laughs> uh, give us a five-star review to make up for the... Every once in a while, we get that annoying like one-star review. Yeah. They didn't even start talking about the main issue till 40 minutes into Dude, the podcast. I why I totally get not liking something. I'm, and I yeah. totally understand why people wouldn't like our podcast. What I never have understood is the energy that it takes to go leave shitty reviews and comments. Like if I don't like something, I just stop. I, I don't know. You can see they were just procrastinating to talking about it <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, if you'd like to support us in more tangible ways, um, you can do that in a variety of ways that are all listed on our support page. You can give us a one-time or a recurring donation on PayPal. You can buy some of our merch, but none of those things get you uh, the ambulators. The ambulators. Our Deadwood podcast um, that is only available, except for the first episode, to our Patreon supporters right now. We just completed season one of The Ambulators. and With uh, one of the best episodes on TV. Like liter literally on TV. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you get a whole season of us going deep into every Deadwood episode. And uh, you also get Dave's Beats, uh, six volumes of Dave's Beats. And you will get, at $5 and up, access to our Brothers Karamazov series. Um, we did a five-part series on the Brothers Karamazov. At $10 and up, uh, you will get to ask us anything. Uh, ask us a question, and then we answer you in a video and an audio uh, format. And um, the $2 and up per episode 
tier also gets access to the audio version of that. So thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. It's been growing recently. We're really happy about that. And we just get our heart warmed by people who say they're watching Deadwood because we've been doing this Ambulator series. Like, that's all we want, really. It's the best. That's the best. best I'll go on Twitter every hour if that's the kind of message we get. Yes. I, I, I think I texted you. If we got people to watch Stalker and <laughs> uh, and watch Deadwood, we're going to heaven. That's and then right. we're like, not to mention Borges. That's right. Like, it's true. The best kind of heaven, too. You know? Yeah. All, All right. right. We can't put it off any longer. <laughs> it's like the Alma and Seth sex scene. It, will it be as hot? Um, probably. <laughs> Roughly. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this was, uh, as Tamler said in the first segment, this is uh, him keeping his promise, keeping his word uh, to that we were going to discuss a Parfit article. Before I dive into like a little summary of this article, I do want to at least say why I wanted to do Parfit. And um, it is because there are so many topics that we've hit on, just my obsession with Star Trek transporters, severance, prestige, severance. I like, I just realized it's just shit that I love to talk about. And I knew Parfit was one of the most influential philosophers in this. And I knew broad strokes what his arguments were. Um, but I wanted to do a deep dive. So we picked an article um, and we're going to give it our, our, our shot. I shot my shot. Um, <laughs> you sound down about it. Like, this no, is no. exciting. No, I'm happy. I'm actually happy because I, I learned. Um, okay. So like I said, we're discussing this classic paper by uh, Parfit from 1971 called uh, Personal Identity, published in Phil Review. Parfit, if you don't know, was a British analytic philosopher who died recently, to, well, 2017. Um, Is it that long ago? I know. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. Um, this was, so 1971, this is before he the publication of his very influential book, Reasons and Persons, which was in 1984. Um, this is his first article. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's quite something. So in this paper, uh, Parfit is asking this question about personal identity, which has been a, fa- a staple of philosophers for quite some time. And it's simply the question of how we identify individuals over time. Like, when is it right to say that person at time two is the same as person at time one? And Parfit starts by trying to tackle this question by asking some questions for which there are no obvious answers. And throughout the paper, he relies, and throughout his career, he relies on a bunch of puzzle cases, like these hard questions, often from with a very sci-fi feel to them, um, that are meant to try to pull some intuitions about personal identity. And he uses these um, and says, these hard questions, these hard cases don't seem to be covered by the normal criteria that we use uh, for personal identity. Um, and so building on these cases, he's basically arguing that it's a mistake to think that the question of personal identity has any correct answers. That is, when you ask the question, is this the same person? He thinks that it's wrongheaded because there is no actual answer as to whether that person is the same. So identity for people, he thinks, is more like identity for things like nations or companies. So if I say, is U.S. the same country as it was in the, in you know 1823, nobody thinks that like there's really a right answer to that. You would just say, well, what do you mean by same country? Right. Like in some sense, it's a continuous government, but obviously filled with a whole bunch of different people, and and there are all sorts of criteria that you might use. But nobody thinks that there's like right. The, is Audible the, the same con- company 
once it was bought by Amazon. That's right. It's like it is and it isn't. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And so um, Parfit thinks, for one, we have this language of personal identity that really makes us think that there is an underlying thing, but he always argues that there in fact isn't. And he thinks that one of the reasons why we maintain this language of personal identity is because we think that really important things hinge on it, things like rationality or moral responsibility. But what he wants to do in this paper is argue that maybe you don't actually need this thick notion of personal identity after all, and you can still preserve um, those important things. So along the way, he'll make a few claims that we'll jump into. If it's not clear from this summary, uh, hopefully it will become clear from our, our discussion. He says that he wants to preserve a sense of the term survive mm-hmm. that doesn't imply identity. <clears throat> so a person can survive, but it's not the same person. Or it's indeterminate whether it's the same person. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, he wants to argue that most of the sense, uh, most of the things that matter for survival are relations of degree. So person at time one and person at time two is they're related to each other to a greater or lesser degree, not an all or nothing. <clears throat> right. And then finally, as I alluded to before, he wants to argue that none of these relations need to be described in a way that presupposes uh, identity. So he concludes that really it's the language of personal identity that's probably just a handy way of pointing to the stuff that really matters. For him, what really matters are uh, psychological continuity and even more importantly, psychological connectedness, which we'll discuss. For him, there just is no more to it than that. And right. Yeah. It is nothing over and above the, right. the facts about how connected we feel to our former self, continuous our memories are, like there's yeah. nothing over and above that. That's that, right. And this is one of the things that's both frustrating but also good about this paper is I think he's right. Like, yeah, I think I he's <laughs> uh, arguing for a conclusion that is true, but I do balk at kind of the methodology that gets us there. But I'm not even sure how forceful my objections to the methodology is. Um, so that's one of the things with this particular topic and this paper that has has me a bit confused but right. the one thing that uh i want to just add to your very nice summary of the paper is he does think this has implications it is not just trying to preserve our common sense notions of everything but you yes. know in this new la- he thinks that this means that we should be less selfish and less um afraid of death relevantly for you and, and, <laughs> that's right that's why i want to believe it to like right. honestly that's one reason why i want to like come to this to this view. And, and and this is an interest like he is a very strong consequentialist and also like a sidgwickian rationalist and sidgwick arrived at this kind of at, at this view where both Egoism and, you know, utilitarianism are both rational. They, you can have a coherent normative system for both. And I think one thing that Parfit wants to do is say, no, egoism is actually irrational, which only leaves us with utilitarianism as the kind of true ethic, right. which is what he believes like, I do think what he's doing, I'm not saying it's ad hoc, just like bullshit rationalizing, but he does kind of arrive through this uh, personal identity argument at, at a way of ruling out egoism as equally rational to utilitarianism. Yeah. And 
I meant to end with something like that. What I was going to say, if I had, was that this paper doesn't do the best job at building those cases. Mm-hmm. He does hint at what I know he argued later um, in more fleshed out way, which is an idea that I always thought was pretty cool. That is, if there is no such thing as continuity of identity, if there's no such thing as identity over time, then um, you caring about, so David caring about David 20 years from now is the same as me caring about anybody else. That is, um, in, it is being impartial. Like he really yeah. likes that, that uh, it's, it all comes down to being impartial or not being impartial. You know, that that's the part, like I'm happy that he believes that. I think he was a committed utilitarian for better yeah. or for worse, but I don't know that this argument uh, genuinely leads to that conclusion. Yeah, like, it is ar- tricky, yeah. The inference there uh, doesn't seem to work for me. Okay, so let's get to the some of the cases that he brings up because I... You know, I have like a pretty high tolerance for like convoluted cases, but I also kind of feel like you that these aren't these aren't cases that are as crazy as like trolley cases, at least for some reason to me. Like they're not so convoluted. And in part maybe it's because Wait, what? Like well, it's branching in the fall no, and like, like fusing in the spring is the, not as crazy as pushing a fat guy off a bridge. Well, with like crazy loops. Kind of no, and I'll tell you why. But really, what I was thinking of is the the first case that he brings, which I guess was uh, yeah. the case that David Wiggins uh, proposed first, which is the splitting of the brain. So he asks you to imagine that um, that half of somebody's brain is put in one body and half stays in the other in the original body, and we know that people can survive with half a brain. And um, they they don't die like that much seems pretty clear. Like I think I've mentioned on this podcast a few times that I have a a niece who, when she was very young, <clears throat> had a full hemispherectomy because of cancer in her brain and severe seizures. And she is her. I mean, there's she she woke up after the operation, and nobody thinks that isn't it so sad that she died. But if you imagine that her brain, her that half of her brain that was removed was actually healthy and was placed in a healthy body, and so that person woke up as well with all of the memories and all of the character traits and personality um, th- that she had, then you're sort of left with what happened in this case. Like, w- did someone die? Did uh, one did one person survive and 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 the other person just isn't this, right. That same so there's person. three yeah. options. There's uh, one person died and two new people are crea- uh, were created, but that doesn't seem right, right. since uh, if you just did it with one person, you would obviously think they survived. They they yeah. survived, right? Yeah. Like so then. Uh, it doesn't seem like nobody survived, yeah. but then if you ask, like, just one person survived, then it's like, but which yeah. one? Like, right. what, what? what's the basis of choosing one over the other? If you say they both of them are the original person, yeah. then, well, what does that mean to be branched off right. into two? Exactly. Uh, and, and so, like, I think what Parfit wants to say is there's no right answer to this question. Yeah. But if you had, like, gun to your head, you would pick the third one. The third one. That that, yeah. that the two new people are the same as the, fir- the first person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
That's right. And then, and then he, he uses, you know, he says like, this may not be as crazy as it seems. We know that people with split brains, um, seem to have two streams of consciousness. Um, and he uses that as, as a further example, which is why I don't find the idea so crazy. Like it's, it is sci-fi, but it's not, um, I don't know. It's a, it seems like a meaningful question to me. Like it is a fact that you can survive with half of a brain. So this is why this may be a difference between you and me. This is why I find the transporter question so interesting because to me, it's from the, from like the first person perspective, I wake up in my body and I see that there's another body that's talking and acting like me. Um, but I don't, but there's no, this is the whole problem is like, I don't have good, really good reason to think that other than pure physical continuity, but like, Pure physical continuity kind of breaks down uh, as well in some cases. So, so I get what Parfit is doing here, where he's saying, like, like if you really believe the things that seem like common sense criteria for personal identity, like they do seem to break down. But, but you have to, like, he needs to get people to not caring, like where you are, to think that this is not an interesting question. Like that's his whole. I know. His That's whole what's thing. so funny. Yeah. His whole but like you're already is, sold on it. <laughs> I'm already sold that it's a pseudo question. But what's interesting about my reaction to this paper and this topic is I'm not a hundred percent sold on really any aspect of this. I find this topic for whatever reason to be, you know, maybe like consciousness, something that I can't fully wrap my head around because we, you can go full reductionist, um, on personal identity. And, and also like I, you were asking off air, like connections with Buddhism. Like, I think this is very, there are deep connections here. Like, and, and especially the kind of Buddhist idea that, all we are is our thoughts and our bodily sensations. Yeah. You know, which like is a view that Hume had too. Like it's not, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Right. And William James had a version of that, and um, and that's all we are. So it's like reductionist. It's like there's no you over and above all the you know your thoughts, sensations, and memories, and all of that, right? Yeah. But then you can believe that as I do, but that doesn't fully explain my behavior in terms of planning for the future. Not that I'm particularly good at that, but I do some of it. And thinking about the past, there is, it does feel like there's some other kind of relation that that reductionist view doesn't capture, but I don't know what that is or even if it's, if it's an illusion, which I think it probably probably is but then what does that even mean for it to be an illusion so that's right. the thing that fucks with me when i get onto this topic you know? yeah it is hard and this is where i think like maybe some of his more fantastical examples of like mem- fusion and having memories of that other people of other people's experiences m- might be trying memories to, yeah key memories. <laughs> um might be trying to tackle this but I, but he does want to say that um this notion of psychological connectedness with a person, that relation is a matter of degree. And I, and and so, so to the extent that you have a lot of overlapping connectedness, which we do like tomorrow, Tamler has a huge amount of connectedness to today, Tamler, which is different from continuity, which I, I thought was a clever point. So he says, you can, 
con- continuity really is an all or nothing thing. Um, you can be continuous uh, or not continuous, but you can't really be a little bit continuous. So, but he thinks you can be a little bit connected. And the example that that finally got me to understand what he meant was the example of or- an organism that lives like an eternity and over that time their bodies and their memories change and um their experiences change and so at some point in time say like after a thousand years they'll remember who they were when they were 500 and uh but that memory will be a little fuzzier than the memory of when they were 800 their preferences might have changed completely they're they're as just a matter of degree, the further away they get from that person, like a thousand years from now, they'll barely remember who they were when they were 100. Do you remember like uh, when we did on a Galen Strawson episodic yes. ethics? Yeah. Like he was just saying, he was making that exact point yeah. that like he doesn't identify with, yeah. you know, Galen Strawson 10 years ago in any meaningful way. Right. And he thinks that's also just variation. Yeah. And, I I do I I do catch that intuition and at some point in my life I realize I think the older you get the more you realize maybe this came from like either seeing myself talking or like reading something I wrote you know when I was like 12 or something and not even recognizing it and I realized like oh it's just because I haven't really thought about it much like I always assume because of this the continuity part that like I'm connected continuously with 12 year old David always um, that I've always felt like I must be the same person, but it's a little jarring to see what you said or thought that long ago, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes Sometimes it's like, yeah, that's me. That's me. (laughs) Other (laughs) times it's like, what? I find that for person. Yeah. For personality traits, it's like me. Like I had a sense of humor. Like I had a dirty sense of humor when I was like nine years old, you know, like my jokes, I recognize in mine. So this gets to, (laughs) To one of the things we were saying about aphantasia is that I, I do think that there is something to Parfit himself saying that he didn't have strong autobiographical memory that makes this conclusion a bit easier. Because like I feel like I have very vivid memories of myself uh, from a fairly young age, and that makes it pretty hard for me to not think of myself as the same person, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Let's can we back up for a second yeah. and just talk about the the use of thought experiments and to what extent you think that they're useful for for the argument, right? Yeah. So it starts out like you said, it, the, like this actually happens. Split yeah. brains. What what did your niece have? Uh, hemispherectomy. Hemispherectomy. Yeah. Like these things happen, but it's still very hard to imagine right but then it gets to okay now you're being divided into five bodies and they themselves are branching out and then there are bodies fusion fusing and yeah do you think that these kinds of thought experiments actually yield insight into something like personal identity and what the criteria for it are I do think so, but so I'm going to give maybe what I think is a good reason and then what I think is a bad reason. So the, the, the good reason for me is that I think so in part because 
I am somebody who disagrees or disagreed at least with his conclusion. And in, in thinking about these cases, I am uh, left with no answer. So I, I feel like they work better in this deflationary way where my positive claim was that identity is a thing. And he's like, yeah, but think about these cases. Then I, I do, I feel compelled to say, yeah, I have no good answer for this. And it doesn't so much matter that it's fantastical. Like I can imagine a species that divides, um, you know, like there are species that divide asexually and it doesn't seem that weird to think of a species that, that could uh, pass along um, the memories of the first, like the father, the, the mother uh, organism. And then over time they would keep dividing. The bad reason maybe is that there are a ton of cases from sci-fi that I really enjoy that have maybe made these into more of a reality. So like, if you'll permit me, I, I want to tell you about one case that's always fucked with me. And it's from the, the Star Trek Voyager series. There is, uh, and it maps oh, on. Boy, you're really getting. You're, I'm really going to your revenge, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with you know, three hours on on <laughs> Um Fair enough. And yeah. it is, it is, it maps on well to the cases of fusion that Parfit is talking about, where he's talking about organisms uh, where two separate organisms might fuse into one. And so there is this episode where a transporter accident fuses two people into one person, and that one person sort of has a new identity. Um, so it's called Tuvix for anybody who cares about the episode. And that new personality emerges, but they actually have the memories of both lives, but they're just one person. And it's a kind of a powerful episode because it ends with the them developing the ability to split them into the original two. But the new person who has formed is begging them not to. They're like, no, I'm a new, I'm a new person. Like I, I feel right. like I was born as a new person and I've experienced this life and now you're going to essentially murder me. And the captain decides anyway, in a really heartless decision to just split them back into uh, the two separate beings. And so the thought of maybe having somebody else's memories as Parfit sort of builds one, one of the, the pillars of his argument here is, is based on the, the idea that, that it's not incoherent to have a first person memory of someone else's experience like that much. It just makes sense. But at the very least, it seems like th he is abusing my intuitions when he's coming up with these cases in a way that has worn me down into thinking, yeah, maybe there is no single criteria um, that would ever play the role that I thought it was playing. Right. And I guess that's, I think you're right that it, if they're going to work, they're going to work better for deflationary mm -hmm. accounts where you think there is some set of criteria that right. defines your personal identity. And, uh, you know, in the way that if you thought that that was true about knowledge, like yeah. the Gettier cases <laughs> might put pressure on right. those right, right, and right. things like that. And the difference is that nobody really thinks that about knowledge <laughs> right. except philosophers. But I think people do sometimes think that that might be true with personal identity. Um, I think we feel it in a deep way. I guess my resistance, so, you know, my first uh, publication actually addressed this issue of thought experiments and their value because I was talking about zombies. Mm, zombies. 
And um, I remember being very influenced by Kathleen Wilkes and her view on like the use of thought experiments. And she said, they're really only useful when you can establish the phenomenon, right? Like if you know all the... uh, uh, all the relevant facts uh, and background information, that's when they're useful. But the problem with, and I think she was singling out Parfit, I didn't know Parfit at the time, but she was singling out Parfit among others as giving these thought experiments that we just don't understand what it would mean for two people to fuse together or, you know, one person to be branching out into five different people. And so, like, our intuitions on that are kind of worthless because we can't fully get, wrap our minds around yeah. what what any of that would mean, right? And that seems right to me. Uh, at the same, like this is like I'm a little torn because at the same time I could see how these would work to deflate or to you know any pretensions at some kind of systematic theory that will tell you like this is when you're the same person and this is where you're not. But like I just feel like Hume gets there, you know, in like a half a page of just like, I look for anything beyond my thoughts and I don't find anything, right. you know? But I, I just don't think these thought experiments cast light on that aspect of it, which to me is the most interesting part, but maybe that's because I was already, I just started at his conclusion yeah. already, you know? And so I didn't need his cases to get me there. Yeah, maybe that is that is true. I I find myself t- to be honest a little puzzled at that view that you just expressed. Not because I don't get like the like it sounds reasonable. It's just that like I feel like there is a role for imagination that your view is not allowing for in philosophy. Where like yeah, it does like no one's ever going to get to to another uh, solar system. It's true, but like, imagine that they could. Like, it it feels like, but that's like, an established phenomenon. Well, that's like, what I'm not sure what we you can mean. wrap our minds around that in a according but, to Kathleen Wilkes. Yeah, but like, but say more about what it means that it's an established phenomenon. It does remind me of something that I thought you also were a, a bit resisting of, which is when we discussed the video game Sona with our hero, uh, Ted Chang. Yeah. Um, one of the objections that he raised multiple times was that there is no non-destructive brain scan. And so this is why he thought it was a meaningless question. And right. I was like, but you, but you can imagine that there would be a technology that is not non-destructive. And I, I suppose you could just insist that there's not so you don't want to think about it. But it feels like it's a failure of imagination. Yeah. No, look, what's you know nuanced about this debate is I think something like Soma, where you are playing yeah. uh, this game and very incompetently if you're me, but you're still <laughs> playing it from the perspective of this person. And then all of a sudden you switch bodies and, you know, the little twist at the end yeah. that it plays on you um, is, I think, more revealing than some of these cases, precisely because it establishes the phenomenon better than these cases. Yeah, but, that's, so here's, but that's just a more fleshed out imagination, right? Yeah, right. Like, I think you're misunderstanding. It's not that thought experiments can't be useful. It's just that they have to flesh it out or establish the uh, phenomenon. She says, 
the burden of any thought experiments rest on the establishment in the imagination of a phenomenon. Once the phenomenon is established, the inference to a theory is fairly unproblematic. However, if there is uncertainty concerning the relevant background conditions, however, then it becomes unclear whether or not the thought experimenter has established the phenomenon. At this point, our intuitions will run awry, and the inferences are not only problematic, but the jump from phenomenon to the conclusion is made the larger because of the further need to imagine just what these backing conditions under the imagined circumstances would be. The possible world is inadequately described. I, I mean, I don't think I could possibly do her argument justice from just hearing a paragraph of it, but I do, I do want to know more about what it means to establish. And what I was going to say about Soma is that it's it's it seems like a version of what you said where you know you play soma and it's like you devote 20 30 hours to the game and there's this set of twists and you're like oh man who is me i feel like what you were saying earlier about hume getting there i feel like perfect got can get there by just saying imagine that this happened i don't know i don't find it as illuminating to think of some case that i can't even fully understand and from that, I'm learning something about my actual sense of self or sense of like identity, continuity. Like that's what I'm questioning. Whereas if, if you do what Hume does or like a lot of Buddhist texts and you just say, well, really inter interrogate your own experience. Um, what is that thing that's over and above it? And if you can't find anything, well, okay, that's fucks with me, but not because I can't decide whether our Richard Prime uh, at time four is the same as Richard Asterix at time eight, who's been branched off into like eight other different people. Like, like that's, uh, but it's going to fuse together in the spring. Like all of a sudden, like that's not illuminating to me anymore. That's not telling me anything. Yeah. I like, it's a degree. It's a matter of degree. It might, it might be a matter of degree. I I, I do think that um, maybe I just feel like, because I feel like Parfit got me to the place where like, as you and Sam Harris insist, meditation requires, um, Parfit got me there with a thought experiment, which like I have no, I guess I just have no problem thinking about how my views would be affected by these cases, whether or not they could ever exist. Like it seems as if all of the relevant details that there is a creature that fuses with another creature. Like if I just let my imagination do that thing, I find that now I have a creature with two sets of memories. And then I'm like, Oh, what would that mean? And whether or not that can ever happen or whether or not you think that says anything uh, about say like the nature of the real world, it says something to me about, my inability to accommodate something that I thought I could accommodate for lack of a better term. Like, I, I don't know. But I think here's a key question. Like, does it just change, change how you conceptualize or theorize about uh, this question or does it actually change how you feel about it and, and your actions, right? So are you going to put less into retirement now and devote more of your savings to charity? Do you feel less connected with your previous self than you did before? Do you feel like, well, this is, is, there, is there any kind of practical upshot in any way to you just thinking, oh, I don't. I, I don't think like the physical and psychological continuity constitutes like the theory of the self. Like, does that have anything beyond just how you would describe 
it philosophically to others? Uh, pr- probably not. Maybe a little bit, but like I'm so perplexed by even that being like a criteria for the importance of an argument. Like it's like, well, then math doesn't matter at all to you. Like that's weird. That's like, wh- why would no, it? No, no, no. But like, why would it have to matter? As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't change my practices in the same way that I, determinism. Right. I'm doesn't saying that my... I don't think it can is the point in the way that some of these other approaches. So do you not believe think... Parfit when he says that it changed his whole notions of what it means to die and what it means that it gave him like it lifted this veil and like he was living in lightness now? Liberate, yeah. It liberated him. So he says, uh, I, I found this quote that's in Reasons and Persons. Is the truth de- uh, depressing? Some may find it so, but I find it liberating and consoling. When I believed that my existence was a further fact, I seemed imprisoned uh, in myself. My life seemed like a glass tunnel through which I was moving faster every year and at the end of which there's darkness. When I changed my view, the walls of my glass tunnel disappeared. I now live in open air. This is so Buddhist sounding. There is still a difference between my life and the lives of other people, but the difference is less. I am less concerned about the rest of my own life and more concerned about the lives of others. When I believed that personal identity was a further fact of importance, I also cared more about my inevitable death. After my death, there will be no one living who will be me. I can now re-describe this fact though there will later be many of... Okay, so blah, 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 right? You know that this is this kind of uh, consequence that he reports, right? So what I'm saying is the fact that this did this for him and it didn't do it for you, you are not convinced in the way that he is convinced by the theory. I mean, I literally read the paper two days ago. Like it's a pretty high, okay. it's a pretty high bar that you have there. Can we just take a step back? Because like, I feel like this is just now becoming a discussion of meta philosophy in the way that like we always get bogged down into. And I really thought that choosing this paper, you could at least play along with the structure I, of the arguments in a way that we could discuss like, oh, what does he say about memory? What does he say about like, sure, ch- I'm happy to do that. I like, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought I was. I didn't like. I, but you don't like, see that this is just a version of the co- same conversation we've had many times. No, and not really. Actually, um, I didn't see that. But, but like, I don't know. Uh, maybe it is like that. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair, but it just smacks to me of like you just crapping on analytic analytic philosophy in a way that like I thought. Well, okay, like this is the one time you've agreed to like play along. What are your what were your beliefs going in about personal identity? Like going into this, uh, the thing that has been undermined by Parfit's arguments, and we can go through exactly how. But I, but like, what were they to start with? It's still hard for me to shake the view that, in a deep sense, that like me twenty years from now is me. That there is that that if you uh, cloned me that would just be a clone of me, not me. It doesn't matter if they had all of my same memories. And I've never had a good positive case for what the criteria of personal identity could be. I just have doubled down on the intuition, right? That's that's my, my issue with the transporter cases. I'm like, look, if I'm standing here and you make a perfect copy of me and that perfect copy is standing right there, that's interesting, but it's so not me that I don't even know why you would think it. And what Parfit is saying is, well, why doesn't that thing have just as much claim to being you as you? 
And I still can't wrap my head around it. But because I can't think of any good answer to that, like it makes me think, okay, so what would I be giving up? Like, am I giving up anything really that meaningful? I, maybe not. Or maybe I could get that sense of liberation that Parfit had. I would love that. Yeah. I would love it, to be honest. Like, for the very thing, but, like, I'm not even joking, that very thing about the fear of death, like, I would love to have that thing that Parfit experienced. I, I wonder if, I don't know if how this happens anyway, but I wonder if, I guess, these kinds of arguments can get there. But let's just go through what they are before we ask, step back and ask that question, right? So, like... I guess the idea then, and I, I didn't start with the same intuitions as you about transporter cases. So I guess you have like a f implicitly a physical continuity view of identity because a lot of people are not where you and Paul are, where it's just so clear that that's not you. They watch the show and they don't think, oh, Kirk just died and now right. this Kirk is there, well, right? Like, and it's not a big cognitive dissonance thing either. It's just like, you know, psychological continuity is something that seems to trigger a lot of people's intuitions about identity, period. I, I actually think that most people, if you, if you, if they sit and think about it, they'd be like, oh shit, it is a Holocaust of Star Trek characters. <laughs> like, okay. I, I think that's for uh, <laughs> at the X5 people to determine. Again. Um, but, because I think a lot of people think that there is physical continuity in those cases, but, but yeah, so, um, I don't know. Oh, you mean that all the atoms are like beamed, literally, they're like being beamed, beamed. over. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that could be, um, so so there are cases in which physical continuity does seem to not be enough. So I, I, I have thought often about what it would mean to be completely amnesic and to have lost all my autobiographical memory. It feels like death in a way that, that I'm not sure it actually would be like death, but it does feel like death. So, so my intuitions are just bouncing around, I think. That's the thing with personal identity. I think it's very hard. You know, we watch success, Succession, right? And uh, yeah. not Succession, Severance. Oh, Severance we yeah. watched Severance and then we did it with... Uh, right. Uh, we talked about it with Paul Bloom and you just kind of take for granted that, you know, the, the two Adam Scotts are uh, like different people, yeah. um, even though they have the same physical continuity but no psychological continuity. And it was, it, it's such a premise of the show in some ways that it was like, we didn't even talk about transporters because it was right. like both you and Paul who are, you know, publicly <laughs> opposed to any kind of psychological continuity view, like just kind of took it for granted really quickly in that show. And I think like our intuitions, just depending on how you manipulate them can go in every direction on personal identity. Uh, the thing that fucked with me that Paul said in that discussion was the uh, general anesthesia thing, <laughs> yeah, right. where it's like you right, uh, right. you go under general anesthesia and maybe you are feeling that pain, but then forgetting it. And if you go full psychological continuity, then it's like, well, that's fine. It's like someone like, else. It's not, yeah, someone else felt it's that. It's someone else that went through it, but you don't fully, like, that's horrifying. Right. Like, that would actually, like, affect, like, do I want to go under general anesthesia if I thought that, like, a, a recognizable Tamler with my body right. is going to be suffering, like, all this pain? <laughs> right. 
you know, that will just then be forgotten. Yeah. Like, so that's a thought. That, so that is sort of a thought puzzle that because it's plausible enough in the real world, like fucks with you, I yes. guess. Yeah. Yes. So you can know. I ask you a question then about, um, suppose you get to, the, you've gotten to the point of Hume or of Buddhists or of Parfit. And now you you believe that there is no there there. It's like, you know, identity is like Oakland. <laughs> There's no there there. Is what you're saying that this was always an intuitive view? Like, so so you just never had the, co- the clash of intuitions? Uh, I think I had the clash of intuitions. Maybe my clash, my clashes meet at different places than your clashes. But like, what I never had was any confidence that there was some way of describing what's me and what's not. You know, my into my always first impulse for those kinds of questions are well. Like there's a sense in which I'm me and there's a sense in which I'm not. So you, you were know? always like, a, you I, were like the, the nation view. But again, this is why I was trying to pin you down on the thing you got mad about is that I don't hurt, think my hurt, behavior hurt. hurt yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing that you were, yeah, hurt. And but hurt. Is that I don't think my behavior and how, like what I do fully reflects that. You know what I mean? Like I seem to behave in a way that is like indicative of uh, a greater continuity in that way you might be right like you know who knows like these things can trigger uh some kind of epiphany or some kind of realization and and it really really depend on the sophistication of the person how far along on whatever path they already are and so maybe the part these perfect cases do that for you they didn't do it for me but right. a different kind of case would do it for me and not for you it's because i think that that might yeah my vivid uh mental imagery of transporters is what <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly your star trek it I mean, might be watched, i'm not like, i'm not even joking it might just be that i watch more sci-fi and so these these have more pull <laughs> Um, like when you, what you were saying about Soma, I, I really think that, uh, if you had just given me like a one paragraph description of the video game, I would have arrived at the same perplexed feeling, um, as I did through the whole video game. Like, I didn't think that it needed much, but I, I, okay. It's a couple things, but one, I, That's yeah, there is a thing that Parfit says here that I found to be pretty insightful because he kind of even says, look, these these uh, puzzle cases that I'm constructing where I'm artificially separating criteria like psychological, physical, continuity, memory, um, these don't exist, which is why our common sense notions of, phys- of uh, personal identity persist. What he's proposing as the actual criteria for like why you feel like the same person, which is physical connectedness or psychological continuity, um, that those in everyday life bolster common sense intuitions of personal identity so that you never really see what's doing the work is, is, uh, connectedness. And what he's trying to artificially do, which I think he would just say is absolutely artificial, but like, but it's not abusive of, of concepts. Like it's not, I think he just thinks that plausibly, if you can imagine a case where I separate these apart, you could see why your common sense notion comes apart but like in everyday life he might be whatever the equivalent of a compatibilist is for personal identity which is like yeah like practice like 
these things just cohere so much that like it's rare that anybody would would start questioning whether or not personal identity is actually a thing. Okay, I want to do two things, but the second thing gets us more meta. So okay. let me do the first thing first. So the argument that you're referring to, as I understand it, is when he starts talking about like cue memories, you don't even have to call it memory because maybe memory is something that is defined by the fact that it's it's me that's having the memory. So so invent this concept, uh, cue memory, where you can have memories of other people. And this is one, you know, like I honestly like I had a memory of like that my daughter had and told me <laughs> and then I like a year later told her that <laughs> memory me. back to her so that could happen but then he also does it which is kind of interesting with intentions like I could have an intention that would influence somebody else to act and all these things yeah. and um, he's saying you can separate all those th- we can imagine those things i have an intention and you punch yourself yeah. right now even though that was my intention to punch myself but that intention goes to you and he's like all these things are easily imaginable but normally they all just occur in the same like physical body yeah. with the same kind of continuity they all kind of coalesce around the same things so that's why we believe almost accidentally that there is this kind of identity right. that's sustained like metaphysically uh, like you, like and a, persists yeah. over time. Yeah. You know, that's the part of it that's very consonant with the Buddha. It's like, no, there are just these things, you right. know, there are just these things. And because they happen to all swarm around, but then it's like, did we ever think that it was anything over and above the like, continuous memories and intentions all located within the the body like did we ever think there was an identity over and above all those I mean, things in the first place i'm not even sure i don't think that still still right <laughs> i guess it's just you know, coming from such a different place uh that that it is like i could see why your eyes would glaze over if like you're not but like i do think that my intuitions that I, I strive to make my intuitions consistent. So the demonstration that my intuitions have like glaring inconsistencies, how by any means you can get me there is like a, a valuable way of, of making me uh, change my mind. So you never like had the thought like, am I the same person as I was then? In one sense, yes. In another sense, no. You're always like, well, yes. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm swayed by the like, memory is always a memory of me, right? So... So it's, it is like the pull has always been like, there's been never a question in my mind that 10 year old me was me in like anything other than, you know, appearance and. So here's a question. What is his positive account? Because it's not like total obliteration of the self or the self is an illusion. It's just the self is these psychological connections that we have. Yeah. Um, See, here's where the case of the eternal beings actually mattered to me, where if I imagine my life extending eternally, it's and I have a sense that I change over time. Like in in a the life of a an a, the average lifespan of whatever eighty years, um, right. it's just not that much. But like if I project this change to like a thousand years, it really starts to. I really do start to think, yeah. In what meaningful sense is is it the case that I'm the same person that I was a thousand years ago? Like why would I even care about that person or why you know my memories are kind of faded, and 
and so his positive account Your body of the, atoms have all changed. Yeah. His positive account of like, even in his little diagram, this one diagram actually helped me a little bit. I don't know why the other diagrams were confusing where it's just almost like two little bell curves where he's like, yeah. look, it overlaps a lot. So like just a little bit of time, uh, that separates you and the other you is like, uh, it's reasonable to think you're ish the same person. And then at some point it becomes unreasonable and because you really have so little. And so the, just the notion that it can be a degree is something that like, I think is an interesting and different way of thinking about it than I have thought about it. And I think it's because all of our experiences in the real world bolster this notion of token metaphysical token identity over time in a way that never leads me to, to question it. And the thought that, oh, maybe it is just, I'm more David five years ago than I was David 10 years ago. Um, and that's kind of meaningful. I don't know whether that would ever influence my practice. Like there's so many reasons that I should save, say, for like the future if I retire. Like there's so many good reasons that it don't require either a deflated account of self or a, a it, it's just why because what are those reasons uh why are you not like putting money into my retirement <laughs> because i'm so uh so connected to that person in a way that i'm not connected to anybody else but i i guess here's where but where so that's it the, says right. something that's yeah. meaningful to me where like for the same reasons that i would put more money into bella's account than i would into eliza's account like that seems like a reasonable conclusion. And, and that what's interesting is I think that he really wants to talk you away from that. From that partiality. I know. That's where I'm there. He's not taking me there. He's not. <laughs> no. Right. But I don't think that's where I think this kind of uh, argument really can't get you there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not against this idea. I just like it when Borges is telling me, you know, painting the, <laughs> the, the picture of the immortal yeah. and the fact that his identity is blending into all the, like he doesn't even know whether he's Homer or the other one is Homer. Like that works better for me than yeah, That's really than interesting. This. That's interesting. Yeah. I can get, so, okay. I can get behind that and I can say for some reason, like when you say these are all word games, there's part of me that wants to say, well, yeah, but like, aren't these fun word games? And part of me, yeah. which wants to say, yeah, but like they're word games that matter to me. In a, there's part of my brain that gets tickled in the way that a Borges story can tickle me, um, also gets tickled by fantastical puzzle cases. And yeah. And you don't find like the zombie cases or no, uh, but for ad hoc reasons. Yeah. Yeah. For ad hoc reasons. Like I think the, the, like the zombie cases. And even when we talked about like the veil, Mary, the, the color, yeah, the veil of ignorance, like some of these fail. And even in Parfit, sometimes I'm like, whoa, your intuitions actually aren't my intuitions. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, 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 no, totally. What's interesting is when you don't know. So Bernard Williams has a paper around this time as well. Um, and he starts out with two people are going to be put to sleep, like A and B. Like Williams could do this shit too yeah. if he wanted to. Um, and and what's going to happen is that all the information encoded in A's brain will be transferred to B's brain and vice versa. So like I'm going to be like all of a sudden you'll have my mind and I'll have your mind. Yeah. Um, and then. It, they say, so we're going to go to sleep, and when you wake up, that's going to be the deal. 
But uh, afterwards, one of the two people will be given $100,000 and the other will be tortured. <laughs> so which one do you want? Yeah. Like, do you want, so you and me, yeah. this is happening to right yeah. now. Um, and now you have to decide, do I want, like you, you get to decide, do you, I want to be, uh, wake up as Tamler's body, but with my memories and be tortured, or do I want my body and, and yeah, have yeah. my body be tortured, my previous body, or right. you know, yeah. however you think of this? And you know, the, what William says at the end is that like he has no idea what he would do <laughs> with that. Like that's kind of interesting. Yeah, like yeah. I have a strong intuition that I want my mind to not be tortured. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of do too. Although it is, it is interesting what what these uh, example where these examples get me. Like all I can say is like maybe testify is like a you know as a, a witness to the spirit of this that I have been more shaken, and that's what philosophy just does to me. Sometimes it shakes me, even with crazy cases, in a it way wakes that's good you from your dogmatic <laughs> dogmatic slumber. You know, some, yeah. I often think that Kant was like 50 when that happened. And so I'm like, I got some time. <laughs> I got some time to sleep. <laughs> so, you know, eight months. <laughs> like 10 years. What are you talking about? But I, having, having defended to the point of anger, Parfit, I, I wish that he were a little bit clearer in the steps that his mind takes. I do find that uh, even though I'm compelled, it took, it like took, I burned calories reading this paper in a way that I don't often. It almost makes me a little nostalgic because the one thing it doesn't do that uh, people add now is like a million citations. Yeah. You know, totally. for every like, it's just giving the argument and it can get a little convoluted and fantastical. And yeah, a lot of connections aren't made um that you wish were made right like no i know he even starts the paper like as i was telling you uh, like off air like i'm you know i'm sitting there trying to write a summary and usually you go to the first few paragraphs to, to get what the argument's gonna be and i found i was like wait yeah, where is that, the argument? that was less of a thing uh back then you know think of freedom and resentment like if you go to try to figure out yeah. like a kind of abstract of the opening right. like there's no way to do an abstract about it's, that you know right you can do that more here but uh um, yeah, you know hard. there was just less of that structure wasn't as set down it almost, as it is now it almost feels more conversational like you can imagine that this is how a conversation yeah. would go um and less uh like what we would teach a, a student to write now which is get to, you know we tell yeah. our students to get to the point quick at least i think um i think that's exactly the nostalgia yeah. that <laughs> is that it does feel like that it's like here's this philosophical problem that i'm going to talk about right now and i'm just going to start talking about right. it i'm not going to right um, right but i agree with you also that you know it also is very clubby and it's like well wiggins has recently done this i feel i felt like, like i was like yeah. a in, in, it's like sitting around smoking a pipe in like an oxford you know like uh yeah. after dinner club yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right well i hope i redeemed myself a little bit reasons and persons second. next um. yeah 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 definitely just the the uh the only one i won't do is the last one. <laughs> what was the it the three volume, the three volume uh, uh what matters what's it called? on what matters on what matters yeah like not this all right uh join us next time on very bad wizards 